It's great to see you here this morning. We continue on in this series called Set Apart. Really, it's the idea of set apart uh, by him, to him, and for him. Or, keying in on these words, uh, by him, it's God's power. Uh, to him, we are God's possession. And for him, God's purpose. That's what this whole thing is. Really, it's just a way for us to look at the old school Bible term or word holiness, right? When I say that word, some of you are like, oh, wow. Um, because it carries with it a lot, right? But it's just that, that word holiness that if you open up the scriptures and you begin to read, you realize quickly that this is something that's important to God. He cares about this. This matters 850 times. This word's used in the Old Testament. Another 275 times in the New Testament. Uh, you can't open the book without seeing, whoa, what is this word, holy, holiness? Um, what care, what, uh, it's obvious. It's something that matters to him, and it's something he wants for us. I was uh, remembering all the words that you gave me in that text poll uh, last week, which, um, by the way, in first service, I gave them the wrong number. And so they text this number that none of us knew what it was. And I thought somebody in like New Jersey was going to get bombarded. It was a Google number, so it didn't go to anybody. So we're good with that. Um, but I entertained the idea this week of, of giving you all Pastor Dave's number. <laughs> and then giving you some really um, off-the-wall question to answer with the weird answers and just bombing his phone like with all sorts of weird things, but um, he watches the services, so he already knew what was going on. He would it wouldn't have worked with him. He would have he'd have probably if you learn if you know anything about Dave, he would have figured out a way to get me even worse. <laughs> and so, I don't try to get in a tit, tat, tit for tat with him because I'm going to lose on that. He is the ultimate practical joker, prankster. But um, so but most of the time, or a lot of the time, when I said what comes with the word holiness. You referenced God, him, Jesus, God, over and over and over. And I'd say, you know what, right on, right on, exactly. We, um, we, we should associate the word holiness with God. Um, and in fact, I'm thrilled that a lot of you said Christ-likeness because really for us to see how scripture weaves what this whole theme is, it comes to the end result being, you wanna know what holiness is? Because for a lot of us, it's, it's these words like um, purity or um, words that, uh, you know, it's, it's, or images like fire and, and light, all these ways that God has represented himself in, in the scriptures and, and, and yet, at the end of the day, the word holiness should be represented in one word, and that's Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness. Um, that is the ultimate picture of holiness. And in fact, um, if he was holiness personified, and he's also love personified, we begin to see that, you know what? To be holy is somehow entangled to be loving, to love, to love God and to love others is actually a holy act. It's the purpose. If, if that's what everything we're called, boils down, that's what we're called to do is to love God and love others. 
we see that the way that comes about is this process, this work of holiness in our life. They're tied together. So often we've confused holiness with uh, denominations. We've confused holiness with uh, weird teachings. We've, com- we've, uh, we've thought about holiness in so many different ways, but really, grab a hold of it. It's holiness is Jesus and in actually Jesus, who is love, it's married there. And so holiness and love go together. And I really want to just say that because later, a couple of weeks, we're going to see how holiness, some of the ways that it, it, it looks like. And it's obvious that God is not just trying to make you holy to put you on a trophy somewhere in, a, in, in, his, in his trophy room. That's not what he's interested in. He's interested in making you holy to be like Jesus so that he uses you to impact the world with his love and his grace. Holiness and love are married. So often that's like, that's not something I grew up understanding. They said be holy. I was like, what do I need to do better or try harder with? And hopefully today we can knock a little bit of that down. So, um, Holiness is love. We, I've talked about a little bit last week that for most people, probably though, the idea of holy is something that you, we believe it's possible because we've seen somebody that we said, wow, you know, there's something about them, but we don't think it's probable. It's possible, not probable. And a lot of that is because of we live with these, these kind of things in our, in our thinking that have that have circled around like, well, I'm just the way I am. I, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm just, I am who I am. Or we even live with these strongholds of thought that, you know what, we're just all sinners. It's just what we do. We just sin, we sin, we sin. And so the idea of being holy, because obviously we'll talk about this later, sin and holiness are not compatible, right? And so the idea that I'm just a sinner, I'm gonna wake up today and I'm just gonna sin and, and I can't help myself kind of mentality and um, this kind of, it, it causes the idea of holy and, and us to be far apart, I will tell you today that it's obvious from Scripture, as we tried to share last week, that holiness is something that God has planned for you. In fact, it's not an optional thing for us. Remember, I referenced things like um, before the foundation of the world, before the creation of the world, God planned for you to be holy. Christ died on the cross for you to be holy. Hebrews says things like, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I mean, if I'm reading these things, I'm beginning to get the idea that, you know what? This is really important. This matters. I need to understand this. And in fact, holiness is best represented in this idea of being set apart. Set apart to God. Set apart from uh, the fallen world. Are you tracking with me so far? Because I was really off in first service. I was bad. Talk about dysfunctional in worship, which I didn't hear that dysfunctional, but I was dysfunctional in first service, all right? So you guys are looking at me like I'm weird. I'm just trying to be honest. I try to be honest. Um, <clears throat> but so here we come. Now where am I at? I totally lost my place. I would say this. <clears throat> 
Even in our popular Christian culture, there's been this idea of, like for a while we talked about fixing problems. So we begin to realize, we begin to buy in this idea that we're just sinners, so we just gotta figure out how to manage sin, all right? Let's figure out how we can manage our sin. How can we, you know, limit it? How can we make it, we just need to manage it. Or we get, we, uh, we, if you go into a Christian uh, bookstore or see stuff, there's a lot of stuff on, well, you need to learn more about God. We need to have more knowledge about God. That's really what a purpose is, is to, is to become more knowledgeable. I've shared this before. People talk to me, I'm gonna get into another Bible study. I'm gonna get into another Bible study. And I'm, I'm great with that. But listen, do you realize that when you get into a Bible study, you have to be prepared for it to affect your life. It's not just accumulating facts about God. That's never what he cares about. You know, it's, it's what, what is it? 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter says. Those who accumulate knowledge, it causes them to be what? puffed up. Knowledge puffs up. It makes us conceited. If we don't do anything with the knowledge about God, we just walk around thinking, hey, we know all this stuff, and, and, and we get confused. Like James chapter 1, we're like a man who looks in the mirror and knows what's right, but we, we think because we know that's good enough, we walk away and we're deceived, right? And so, you know, there's this whole idea of we just got to know, you got to believe the right things. Believe the right things, or there's this whole wave of, we just got a, this social justice type thing where, you know, if we can find out the right causes to get behind, that's what we'll, we're doing, what we're supposed to do. And what was missed for so long was that the core, the core thing that God's trying to do is to transform our character. He's trying to transform us. Because when he transforms us, guess what happens? You are involved in social things that advance his kingdom. Uh, you are being able to deal with sin in a right way in your life. You are, um, uh, you are learning about him, but you're using it in appropriate ways. So, and I noticed, I noticed this like about six years ago, and then I began to realize that other people noticed it. Like, all these writers, it didn't matter what kind of theology you came from. All these writers all of a sudden are writing about one topic, they're just talking about all the time, holiness. Because they realize, you know, we've been teaching people how to manage sin and get involved in the right causes, and know things more about God, but we're missing the big point. The big point is, is that God wants to transform us from the inside out. He wants to change who we are. He wants to take bent, fallen, broken people and do something about that. And when he does that, everything else spills out of that. And so, that's why I want to talk about this, this being set apart, this holiness. <clears throat> I want to show you this video. Can you watch this video with me? You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. 
So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity, being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know. 
until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now. But Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. This time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity, and bringing everything back to life. So all religions have this idea of holy. They determine things that are holy, right? This is a holy thing. This is a holy place. You can go to different holy sites, right? This is our holy place. All religions have always done that. Um, I found that churches do that sometimes. (laughs) My first church, um, I got there and I realized, oh, wow, we got a lot of work to do, okay? First church, I mean, I'm really young. And um, it just needed overall. One of the first things we needed to do is we needed to clean out a lot of junk in the basement, okay? And so I just, uh, I just called the city. I said, hey, I got a lot of stuff I need to throw out. They said, hey, if you'll bring it out to the curb, we'll pick it up. Well, guess what? I mean, it was like, I, I am not kidding. It was stacked stuff. And in that stuff I was going through in the basement, I found this, this picture of Jesus, Okay, I'm thinking, that's awful. (laughs) I'm just going to be honest, it looked awful. And I thought, I'm throwing that out. Little did I know that that was a holy thing in that church, right? You did what? That used to sit in our church for 40 years on the platform. See, what had happened is they had made that, it's just oil and, and paper and some wood. There's nothing holy about that. But they had made it holy. That's what we do. We find things, you know. And so, anyway, I find, so I digress. I get off on that. I shouldn't have got off on that. But um, uh, so, so God comes along, says, I'm the holy God. Well, everybody else is saying they're holy, okay? But we begin to realize in this God, this holy God, that <clears throat> he wants to do something more than just be distant other, unique from people. And so this God, this holy God, decides to to create a, to have a people to have a covenant with, right? And he establishes this covenant with this people. And he begins to show them, and the covenant says, you'll do this and I'll do this, and right? You have a covenant relationship. And part of that covenant is he is trying to reveal to them their identity and their purpose 
with him. He's connecting with them. He's actually trying to show them that he doesn't necessarily want to, although he is other, although he is holy, although he is transcendent, he does want to connect with them and that actually this holy God wants his character to become a part of their character. And he establishes a covenant relationship, right? We know what that, that's the Old Testament. It's all the covenants, of the covenant that he made and all that entail, is entailed in that. Remember what a covenant says. He was gonna teach them about himself. He was gonna teach them what he wanted from them. But also, in this covenant that God extended, he was going to show them one other thing that was vastly important. He's gonna, I'm gonna teach you about me I'm gonna teach you about what I'm wanting to do with you, but I wanna also teach you something else. I wanna teach you that there's something wrong with you. You say, well, that doesn't sound great. Yeah, it is really good because it leads to the best thing. And then he had all these Old Testament externals, the laws, the regulations, the rules that says this is how you, in the Old Testament, this is how you are a holy person. If you follow this, 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 and this, and this, you're holy, Right? You're unique. You're set apart to me. But he did it all on purpose in this way. He made it all external pretty much because he was pointing them to come to the realization of the fact that what he is ultimately wanting to do with them and with us is he wants to transfer his holiness, his goodness, his character, not just to make us live by a code of rules and regulations, but he wants to actually take this and impart it into our lives. Remember Peter says we have become partakers of the divine nature where we now are actually going to become holy from inside of us out, in our heart first. And so he created all these Old Testament external rules and laws to show them a set-apart mindset. They were definitely different than the rest of the world, absolutely. You're my people, you're set apart to me, this is what it looks like, but actually this isn't my final plan. This is just pointing you, and in fact, in this plan, as it teaches you what it is to be set apart, it's also gonna show you that to truly be set apart, something way better, way deeper needs to happen. And I, I tell you what, Paul is the perfect picture of this. Paul, the apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament, I mean, he bought into this system hook, line, and sinker. He was offering sacrifices. He was observing the feast. He was following all the rules and regulations. You would have saw Paul in that day, and you'd have said, that's a holy person. He is following all the external rules, holy, set apart to God. And yet listen to Paul's own testimony about himself in Romans chapter 7. He's going to introduce this. He says, but now by dying to once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the spirit, of the spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Paul encountered something that absolutely changed everything he thought about what it was to be holy. And so then Paul, in Romans chapter 7, jumps into telling about his former life. Uh, it's third person, historical tense Greek. It's like you and I telling a story about ourselves that happened in the past, and we use the first person, right? I was there, and I was doing this, 
I'm not there right now. I'm not doing that right now, but I'm telling you about when I was. It's a historical tense, right? He begins to share with them about his life. When he was, I'm holy, I'm following all the external regs and rules, and I was doing everything, but you know what? It was really showing me this. It's this kind of life. He said, I'm at a point where I don't even understand what I do. I want to do what I want to do, I can't do. And what I hate, I do. You know, he, he, wants to, he wants this goodness, he wants to be a holy person, but he says, I, could, I, can't, I couldn't pull it off. I couldn't do it because I was following this external code. Listen to what he says, verse 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, it's in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I find this law at work, verse 21. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. I love what that's about. I want that life. I see that. Wow, I wish I could be that person. I delight in God's law, but I see another law work in me. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And he finally comes to this point. What a wretched man I am. Have you ever been there? I, I, I have been here because I went down this road for a while. And I thought, I, I had a desire. My life had had a change. I had found, and I thought, I, I, I want to be all that God wants me to be. And so I bought into this whole idea of if I follow this, 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 and this, I can make myself this, this, and this. And you know where I came? What a wretched, stinking person I was. Frustrated lost, demoralized, uh, you're talking about mediocre, about just, ah, bleh. It's like lukewarm water, right? Which Jesus tells us is awful. What a wretched man I am. I mean, this is the guy who's following everything, following all the external laws and rules, and he doesn't take more than 100 steps on the Sabbath, and blah, 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 doesn't wear mixed clothes, and, you know, All this stuff, this is where he's at. And he says this, who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to this? Thanks be to God who delivers me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this, starting Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the what? The Spirit gives life and it sets me free from the law of sin and death. You see, the law was power, it was powerless to do what it wanted to do, make me holy, because it was weakened through the flesh. God intended it that way all along because He wanted to point us toward one thing Jesus Christ. I want you to see how unable you are truly. You're unable, you're lost, you're hopeless, even in doing all these right things. What does Isaiah says? It's like filthy rags, which really, modern day translation, it's toilet paper. Use toilet paper is what our, our own works righteousness is to God. Trying to make yourself, yeah, it's a bad image, isn't it? It's supposed to be a bad image. It's supposed to make you go like that. He says, it doesn't work. He says, but this is what does work. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness to be a sin offering and so condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who what? Who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. And then he goes on in verse nine and says, you, however, you're not in the flesh. You're in the realm of the spirit. If the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your, dot, your body will die because fallen, the fallen condition does create, it is appointed unto man once to die. We're all gonna die. We can't stop that part of this slide, although it will be resurrected at one time. Nothing is lost with Jesus. Even our bodies that decay and die will be redeemed and, re and recovered. But in this life, you, it, your body continues to slide, but the spirit will give life to your soul because of righteousness. You see, Paul experienced what this truly is all about. If you and I are going to, to have this life of being set apart, it has to be energized. It can only be energized by the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. This isn't a try harder, do better thing that we do here. I don't know if you've heard that in churches. I don't know if you've walked out of the doors from churches and felt like you needed to try harder or do better. And that was week in and week out. But I'm telling you, that is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about encountering a living Lord Jesus Christ through the power of his spirit in your life where now he becomes the energy, the resource that you have that is necessary that creates the opportunity for you to become a different person, a holy person a set-apart person to Jesus Christ. And Lord, help me never to preach a gospel to you where I'm telling you, you gotta try harder, try harder, do better, and help me to preach a gospel to you where you and I are encouraged to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's why this whole thing of holiness is by him. You cannot create holiness in your own life. You're unable. He is the one. Being set apart is the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we talk about holiness. Let's just get right up front real quick and say, listen, if you don't have a living personal relationship with Jesus Christ where his spirit is in you and you communicate with him and, and just like any other relationship because holiness truly, it's not a forensic term, it's not a legal term, it's actually a relational term. Holiness is a relationship with Jesus Christ, being set apart to him in an exclusive relationship and that comes when he is in you, dwelling in you. It's all nonsense to talk about holiness without the Holy Spirit. I'm just gonna encourage you to some kind of religion. We're just gonna sign up with all the other religions of the world. Do better, try harder. Make yourself holy. Say five prayers a day. Take a trip to Mecca. Do this and that. Do, 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 do. No. This whole thing is, hey, God wants this for us. He's created it before the foundation of the world. Christ died that we might be. It's, it's, we can't see the Lord without it. But guess what? He's the one who does it in us. He's the one who enables us to become holy.
So the call is holiness is by him, by him. Let's stand. Father, Lord, thank you. Lord, my prayer today is that simply we would think about and entertain the idea, am I in a living relationship with the Holy Spirit? Uh, I have pastored people who have come to me and said, you know what? I've kind of slipped into some kind of religion. I just think I'm kind of living by a code. If I go to church, if I pay my tithe, if I do this, then I'm okay. And I really don't have this dynamic relationship. I don't have this relationship with Jesus. I don't have the power of spirit in my life. I don't, I don't have this where I talk to him and he talks to me and we communicate and I read his word and there's this whole thing going on and it's living, it's real, it's alive. And so there's no possibility for me to ever be holy, to grow in holiness without the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I think that's simply what I want to just have us think about when we leave. If he wants to make us Christ-like, if that's the goal, then we need the Holy Spirit in us. That's how we're connected to God. That's how we're born from above. Jesus said, you must be born again of the Spirit. And it can be so easy, it can be so easy to sometimes lose that or walk away from that and, and just operate in our own religious kind of thing. And there is no chance for us to grow in grace or become the person God has called us to unless we are connected to and living in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Lord, make it so because you have great plans for each one of our lives and you want to make us people. You want to make us people that are shining lights of your power and your grace and your glory. It all comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. We open our hearts to you. We only, only trust in the Holy Spirit. Not in us, not in what we do. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day. Have a great week.